every story, every great story, let's put it that way, every great story involves drama, involves uh, tension. There is an adversary or there is adversity which has to be dealt with. Um, Will the team win the playoff game? Will the guy get the girl? Uh, Will the the army win the battle? Um, the, will they get, achieve their goal? It's Luke Skywalker versus the Empire. Remember that first classic movie where he is going and, and on this impossible mission to blow up the Death Star. Have to get his X-Wing fighter through all of those enemy TIE fighters and, and through the defenses covering, just blanketing the Death Star. And then he gets in that canyon and he's got to drop that bomb at just the right moment. Maybe some of you could identify better with dodgeball. Will they defeat the, the Purple Cobras in the final game? I don't know. Anyway. There are some, some big colossal ones and maybe some not-so-colossal ones. I think about Katniss Everdeen leading the rebels of District 13 against the Capitol. Um, just every story, every great story involves these odds and this tension, this drama. Will they succeed or not? And this morning in 1 Peter chapter 5, we're going to engage a text that really talks about your story. The story you're living out. Um, what do you do with your adversity or with your adversary? And here's what's really cool about what Peter's going to tell us. He is going to tell you, or better, remind you, of how your story is going to end. Now, here's the thing. Even when you know how a story is going to end, it can still be kind of tense still be a little stressful. It can still be a little scary at times, even when you've seen that movie before, or even when you've read that book before. I still get nervous. I still wonder, is he going to be able to blow up the Death Star this time? You know, I still wonder about that, even when I've seen the story. That's what makes a great story great. It still captures our attention. So here we go. 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 6. Peter says, be humble under God's powerful hand so that he will lift you up when the right time comes. Give all your worries to him. That's the word of the Lord for you today, a command from Scripture. Give all your worries to him because he cares about you. Control yourselves and be careful. The devil, your enemy, goes about like a roaring lion looking for someone to eat. Refuse to give in to him by standing strong in your faith. You know that your Christian family all over the world is having the same kinds of suffering. And after you suffer for a short time, God who gives all grace will make everything right. He will make you strong and support you and keep you from falling. He called you to share in His glory in Christ, a glory that will continue forever. All power is His forever and ever. Amen. The end, right? What's a privilege to be able to get a glimpse of how all of this will turn out. To be able to skip ahead to the last chapter of the story. And we know, we're told, 
by the inspired Word of God that in Jesus Christ, our story ends in victory. Your story ends in victory. God will make everything right. God will strengthen you. God will cover you in His grace. You will share in His glory forever, happily ever after. Amen. And I hope that encourages you. That's why Peter writes these words. He writes them to encourage you. In other words, God knows that from time to time, we all need a little encouragement. So in verse 12, he says, My purpose in writing is to encourage you and to assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. If you belong to Jesus, you are bound and determined. You are bound to God with ties that bind through your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you are determined. Your future is determined because death did not have the last word with Jesus. And he has promised that he is the resurrection for you. His victory is yours. So write this down. Bound and determined. I'm bound to God because of his grace. No matter what comes, my future is determined. My future is determined. I've seen the last chapter of my story. I know how this turns out. Um, as disciples, we're bound to God by faith, and we have this confidence that changes the way we deal with setbacks and struggles and sufferings because we know how the story ends up. But even when you've seen that movie before, even when you've read that book before, you still get a little nervous. You still, is it going to work out all right this time? You see, we still have some chapters to live out right now. There are still some victories that we will celebrate and some failures that will sadden us. There will be some births to be celebrated and some deaths to be mourned. There will be some success, some failure. There will be some love and some heartbreak. Because we're not there yet. Stand firm. Hang on. There's work to be done in the here and now. And while we know that our stories will end in glory, we don't get to hit the fast, button, fast forward button and get there now. We've got important stuff to do in the here and now. So if you believe what God has declared of you to be true about your story, if you have faith in that ending that He has won for you, that He is offering you, then it absolutely changes the way you see things. Your circumstances, your problems, your difficulties. It allows you to live with, with power. It allows you to live with enthusiasm. And it allows you to be graceful, a person of grace in some pretty ugly circumstances. So how does that work? How do I live with my eye on the prize? Peter says that it starts with a lowliness of spirit, a meekness of spirit. The first thing there is humility. Walk in humility. God will honor me if I walk in humility. The apostle writes, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. So at the proper time, 
he may exalt you. That sounds a little bit weird to me. The first part, not weird. Humble? Yeah. Hear about humility all the time, right? From Sunday school as, as a kid on up to today, I need to be told to be humble. I need to be reminded that pride is a sin. I need to be, and we get that all the time, and we're used to that. And while we may not do a good job with that, we may have a lot of growing to do in that. We're very comfortable with that. But Peter says, and Peter says that, humble yourselves. But Peter says something we're not so comfortable with. He says, God will exalt you. Or your translation may say, God will honor you. And that is not so comfortable to us. It may sound a little bit weird. So that first part, humility, yes. My smallness in the presence of God. My weakness compared to His strength. My sinfulness compared to His righteousness. Recognizing humility is just recognizing my tendency to put myself first. Recognizing that I tend to look out for my interests. I tend to to keep my plans together and worry about that before I'm concerned with yours or someone else's. As C.S. Lewis puts it about humility, and I love the way he describes humility. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Not thinking you're a terrible person. That's not what humility is. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's, it's thinking of others. It's thinking of the Lord. True humility, beautiful thing. I think my favorite quote about humility comes from Abraham Lincoln, who said, What kills a skunk is the publicity it gives itself. I like that one. What kills a skunk is the publicity it gives itself. What kills us spiritually are the kudos and accolades that we chase after or that we find ways to to give ourselves. Now, if we keep our eye on the prize and walk humbly, we get back to the part we're not so comfortable with. God will exalt you. We won't have to do our own PR. God will take care of your PR. What does that mean? God will exalt me. I think it means a lot of things that we don't have to get into all of it today, but but what we can unpack is it means that if you're serving behind the scenes and you're working and no one appreciates you, you're going to be appreciated. If you're doing a lot of good things and no one is noticing, it's telling you God's noticing. He's going to take care of that. It's going to get noticed. You're going to get what you deserved, and better than that, we're going to get the credit we don't deserve. It means someday, God is going to look at you and say well done good and faithful servant good job God will exalt you God will exalt you
Peter says in verse 6 that this is going to happen at the proper time. So we've got this guarantee that's so lavish, it almost feels wrong. God will exalt me. Kind of makes us uncomfortable. But we're reminded that's going to happen according to his time. It's going to happen according to his schedule, not according to ours. So let's allow that to happen. Let's allow the story to play out and allow God to do what God does. So walk humbly under the mighty hand of God. That allows me to recognize where the power comes from. It comes from Him. It comes from His mighty hand, not from me. It releases me to do good without the craven need to be recognized for doing good. It allows me to serve without looking for applause. It allows me to see the victory that you experience and celebrate with you instead of being jealous of you. That's what it means to walk humbly. The next thing Peter teaches about in terms of keeping our eye focused on the prize, on the end, (laughs) and maybe this is the one you really need to hear right now, it's about walking in peace. You can experience peace. God wants you to experience peace. God will take care of me if I trust Him with my worries. If I trust Him with my worries. Do you have worries? Uh Uh-huh. We all have worries. Peter says about those worries, about all worries, verse 7, God cares for you, so turn all your worries over to Him. This is one part of your life that the Bible 100% enthusiastically encourages you to outsource the worrying department. You can outsource that to God. Let Him take care of the worrying. Let Him take care of the anxiety. And there are so many strategies and self-help books and, and talk shows and whatever about how to deal with stress and worry, right? From, you know, Xanax to medicating it with alcohol or something else or, or escaping, you know, getting your mind on something else, literally taking a trip somewhere or just taking a trip in your own mind through some, some other escapism, Well, Peter says if you're bound and determined, you have this resource. Make sure you're tapping into this resource. Cast your anxiety on the Lord. Turn it over to Him. Essentially, we've talked about this before, quit telling God how big your problem is. Start telling your problem how big God is. Now, the key, the precondition to this is to be in a relationship with God. We're not talking about being in a religion. We're not talking here about um, some sort of um, spiritual uh, vague idea. We're talking about a friendship with God, with the Father. Peter says, verse 7, God cares for you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God knows you That he knows your issues, your struggles, and he cares for you. It's a friendship with God. It's a relationship. You can't trust that promise if you don't have that. Um, Our Father which art in heaven. You have a Father in heaven. We don't live as believers as spiritual orphans. 
left on our own. We have a Father who cares for us. It's not dependent on us. We're not on our own. It's not you against the world. And so when Peter says, cares for you, God cares for you, he's not talking about a feeling. God does have feelings for you. Yeah, God does. He proved it at the cross. But what Peter is talking about is is God cares for you. A verb. You woke up this morning. You're here today because God has cared for you today. God cares for you on a daily basis. You serve a God who is involved in your life. So let him do his job. Let him care for you. Leave your worries in his capable hands. Take a deep breath. Cast your anxiety on him and leave it. Now, in any great story, like we talked about earlier, there is this tension, there's this drama. And we all know that we have to deal with some adversity. We all know that we have some struggles to deal with. One thing Peter wants us to understand, he doesn't want us to be afraid of this, he doesn't want us to worry about this, but he wants us to be vigilant and alert and know the reality is we have an, adver- we have an adversary, we have an enemy. And so walk in strength. This is the next point there. God will send the enemy running if I resist his attacks. From that passage in verses 8 and 9, resist him standing firm in the faith. And then from James chapter 4, verse 7, stand against the devil and the devil will run from you. Wow. I like that. Why? Why would the devil be afraid of you. I want you to think about that. Why would Satan be afraid of you? Because you've been covered with Christ. His righteousness is your own. Because he knows your victory is assured because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why would the devil be afraid of you? Because the Holy Spirit of God dwells within you. Why would the devil be afraid of you? Because you are an ambassador of Christ in this broken, sorry world. Resist him, and he will run from you. That's resistance training. That is the strategy to stand up to the enemy. And that makes you stronger in the weight room, That makes you stronger if you're on a diet. The more you resist, the stronger you get. And Jesus says that our spiritual adversary, the one who comes, John chapter 10, to kill, to destroy, to steal, the one who comes to wreck havoc, stand firm, resist, and he will flee from you. Now, if you give in to sin, well, for starters, You're in a room full of sinners here. You're not alone. We're all in the same boat. If you fall, if you give in to sin, then confess that. Trust in God's grace. Trust in the forgiveness God has spoken over your life at the cross. Get up and start resisting. Now, if you pay attention, and this is so important, the text is not saying that you and Satan are in a duel in the desert. It is you versus the devil. That's not what the text says. It says it is you and God 
versus the devil. And that is a far different scenario. Standing firm. It says that because it says standing firm in the faith. Standing firm in the faith means realizing you're not alone. You stand firm because you know you have a powerful ally. I didn't read this at first service, John Scott, but I will share this at second service. Um, We have time, and it's a great... John Ortberg tells this story, which I think makes this point very well. He says, Many years ago, I was walking in Newport Beach, California, with two friends. Two of us were on staff together at a church. One was an elder at the same church. We walked past a bar where a fight had been going on inside. The fight had spilled out onto the street, just like in an old western. Several guys were beating up on another guy, and he was bleeding from the forehead. We knew we had to do something, so we went over to break up the fight. I don't think we were very intimidating. All we did was walk over and say, Hey, guys, cut that out. It didn't do much good. Then all of a sudden, they looked at us with fear in their eyes. The guys who had been beating up on the one guy stopped and started to slink away. And I didn't know why until we turned and looked behind us. Out of the bar had come the biggest man I think I've ever seen. He was something like six feet six, six feet seven, maybe 300 pounds, 2% body fat, just huge. We called him Bubba. Not to his face, but afterwards. Bubba didn't say a word. He just stood there and flexed. You could tell he was hoping they would have a go at him. All of a sudden, my attitude was transformed, and I said to those guys, you better not let us catch you coming around here anymore. I was a different person because I had a great big bubba. I was ready to confront with resolve and firmness. I was released from anxiety and fear. I was filled with boldness and confidence. I was ready to help somebody that needed helping. I was ready to serve where serving was required. Why? Because I had a great big bubba. I was convinced that I was not alone. I was safe. If I were convinced, he says that Bubba were with me 24 hours a day, I would have a fundamentally different approach to my life. If I knew Bubba was standing behind me all day long, you wouldn't want to mess with me, but he's not. I can't count on Bubba. Again and again, he says, the writers of Scripture pose this question for us, how big is your God? Again and again, we are reminded that one who is greater than Bubba has come, and you don't have to wonder whether or not he'll show up. He's always there. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to live your life in hiding. You have a great big God, and he's called you to do something, so get on with it. Satan wants to convince you. This is what really temptation is, if you get down to it. He wants to convince you to accept something less than what God has for you. 
He wants you to accept a story that is different than the great story that God has given you. Stand firm, resist. It's not you alone. It's you and God together. The final thing this morning, be encouraged with this. Walk in grace. Walk in grace. God will restore and strengthen me if I trust in his grace. And I love that about that passage. Peter, from beginning end, just grace, 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 grace. Love that. Verses 10 and 11 at the end, he says, The God of all grace, who called you to eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. So verse 12 then goes on to say, Stand firm in his grace. Every struggle we face... Every sin that we encounter, every defeat and disappointment that we have to accept or deal with, we endure because we're covered in grace. When we doubt and question, when we doubt and question, His grace reminds us, I know how this story is going to end. I would be willing to bet that you have seen your favorite movie more than once. I bet you have read your favorite novel two or three or more times, even though you know how it's going to turn out because the story is just that good. And I don't know if you've ever thought about it before, but every time we gather here on a Sunday morning, we celebrate communion together. We break the bread, we drink the wine, and we go through the story, not a story, the story, the story around which B.C. and A.D. are divided, the story which brought heaven and earth together, the story of Jesus, the good news of his death, burial, and resurrection, and it never gets old. Have you made the story your story? Have you called on the name of the Lord? Have you been baptized into all that He won for you? One more story and I'll finish. I love this one. I don't know if it was two, three years ago, but H&R Block, okay, the tax people, H&R Block offered this contest, if you will. Everyone that used their services got put into a drawing and the winners of that drawing would receive $1 million. Glenn and Gloria, true story here, Glenn and Gloria Sims of Sewell, New Jersey, won the drawing. Great news, right? I mean, who wouldn't be ecstatic to win the million dollars? But here's what's funny. They refused to believe it. And I mean that. They didn't just not believe it. They refused to believe it. When an H&R Block representative called their home with the good news, they thought it was a sales call or a trick. There were several more calls. There was an official letter sent to congratulate them on the million-dollar prize. They still didn't believe it. They still thought it was a scam. They stopped answering phone calls from that number. They threw notifications in the trash, and they went on with their lives. Finally, a desperate H&R Block representative 
one last time, was able to get through. And he told them, look, this story is about to appear on the Today Show of the people who refused the million-dollar prize. Glenn Sims decided it was time to investigate A few days later, he himself appeared on the Today Show to tell America that he and his wife had officially accepted the million-dollar prize. Sims said, From the time this has been going on, H&R Block explained to us that they really wanted a happy ending to all of this, and they were ecstatic that we finally accepted the prize. Look, you may not know this. You may not have come to believe this or accept this yet. You've basically won the spiritual lottery. And God is spending a lot of time and a lot of effort to notify you of your winnings. God wants for you to have a happy ending. He sent His Son personally to save you, to rescue you, to declare you righteous, to let you know that you are being called to live in a forever home with God prepared for you. Now, you can choose to accept it, You can choose to ignore it. You can choose to believe it or not believe it. But you're making a choice. If you don't believe it, if you don't accept it, you're telling God, no, thank you, and that's your right. You can do that. You can turn that down. But if you are ready to accept Jesus, what a great day to do that. To give your life to Him. Begin walking in all that He has won for you in the story that has that amazing ending, the forever ending. Maybe you just need prayers today, but however you need to respond to God, do that as we stand together and as we worship.